This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the uh, web at goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for being with us. We have an an, an scintillating uh, topic today for our podcast. Tane, why don't you tell the folks what we're going to talk about today? Sure. Uh, We've done some other uh, podcasting on third-party custody, but today we're going to talk about a related but different topic of grandparent visitation. Tane, I don't know if you remember, but there was a point in time where this was a very hot topic, and the statute that existed at the time was found to be unconstitutional. There were several changes. Those were found to be unconstitutional. And so we're while we were being funny that this is a scintillating topic, if you have one of these cases in front of you, a refresher might be valuable because they don't come up every day. Absolutely. And anything that Wade and I... uh may say during this podcast is always subject to being found unconstitutional. <laughs> so grandparents, we talked about before, grandparents can seek custody of children under 1971B.1. We addressed that in the separate episode. But in, the, in this episode, we are addressing those cases where a grandparent is seeking visitation privileges. Visitation is always a part of custody, but in this case, this is a whole separate statute that only that allows grandparents to seek visitation, not custody. They could seek custody under the other statute, 1971B.1. Correct. So this is uh, the statute that's to be applied if they're seeking something less uh, than an actual uh, uh, legal custody of the children, but they want to be able to have legal rights with respect to seeing the children. 1973 is the statute, OCGA 1973. A lot of people call that the grandparent visitation right, but Tane, as we learned, this statute actually gives rights to people other than grandparents. Yeah, that's right. Um, 1973A defines family members as a grandparent, of course, but also a great-grandparent or a sibling. The statute then further defines each of those terms to include the usual definitions of grandparents and great-grandparents, but defines sibling as those people who are the brother or sister of a parent of a minor child. So in other words, you and I would call those aunts and uncles. Yeah. And they specifically, they talk about grandparent and great-grandparent as it relates to the child, but they they talk about sibling as it relates to the parents. Very strange, different, don't need to have a lot of conversation about it. Just be aware that they are different. And as you go back to the third-party custody and you look at this grandparent visitation, you say, well, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, but there are a couple of big differences as well, and that's one. As always, go back to the statute. (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, we've talked about earlier when we were talking about custody, we were talking about the constitutional struggles and how the law struggles between the fundamental right under the 14th Amendment of being a parent, but the legitimate state interest of best interest of children 
and and how those two things struggle and 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 how the the law struggles to keep up with them yeah that's right and and we when we're making those determinations um 1973 is very specific and it requires you to do some factual analysis uh, in order to be able to uh, determine whether the requested relief is authorized by that statute. So in this context, understand that grandparents cannot launch off and file one of these actions for visitation where both parents of the children are not separated And the child is living with both of those parents. That's right. This is not a statute for estranged grandparents where both of the parents are are alive and and are are still together. And in a traditional sort of parent-child relationship. Right. But the the statute is constitutional because it does not allow grandparents to intrude in a cohesive, typical family where the parents live together, the child lives there, the, that's not what this, this authorizes. This, this really authorizes only that visitation that might be anticipated that would not also conflict with the 14th Amendment right of the parents. That's right. Uh, And you and I both know, Wade, that no grandparent would ever intrude on the parent-child relationship. Like, for example, they would never pump them full of caffeine and sugar and then send them back home to you and let you deal with them. Um, So I don't think we really have to worry about that. But this really deals more with uh, visitation-related type issues. I did tell you that we're expecting our first grandchild in November, right? You did, and I think you uh, should already get prepared for that by stocking up on as much candy and soft drinks as you can possibly find. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about the mechanism for seeking grandparent visitation. Um, talk about the original action versus versus intervening in an action. Sure. Um, a grandparent can file an original action seeking visitation. That's, that's the basic premise of the statute. Um, the other family uh, members defined under the statute may only seek to intervene in an action where the custody of a child is at issue. In a divorce action involving a parent, an action involving the termination of parental rights of either parent, or where there is an adoption action where the child has been adopted by a blood relative. But parents and grandparents and the family members defined in the statute are subject to the very specific limitation. We've talked about it, but let's make sure we're clear that it's that it's applicable here. That's right. The statute does not authorize an original action when the parents of the child are not separated and the child is living with both parents. You know, there's always a few court cases where they're sort of the seminal cases and there are basic principles that must be applied in every sort of case. But there was one thing specifically that the the courts recently have, the courts made a decision, the legislature responded, and now it's been held unconstitutional. So let me tell you about it. The case was Coons, K-U-N-Z, versus Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. The Supreme Court found that the grandparents' action seeking visitation had to be dismissed because it was an original action, and the parents, and I'm putting that in quote for just a moment, I'll come back and explain, the parents of the child were not separated, and the child was living with both of its, quote, parents. Now, in this particular case, the natural father terminated his parental rights, the mother remarried, 
and the mother's new spouse adopted the child. So the legal parents of the child were the natural mother and her new husband. Right. And so, again, just to underscore what we've talked about in third-party uh, rights cases, the law normally deals with legal parents, the, the rights of legal parents, not biological parents, although those sometimes and many times are one and the same, but we're talking about the rights of legal parents vis-a-vis third parties. And so in that case, the parents of the biological father, whose rights had already been terminated, sought to have visitation with the child. And so the Supreme Court found in the original Coons v. Bailey decision that the action on behalf of the grandparents had to be dismissed because the parents, again, in quotes, of the child were living with the child and they were living with each other. So they argued that the statute should be construed to mean that biological parents were included under the term parents. And the court said, no, that if the General Assembly had meant that, that's what they would have said. So why don't you tell the folks what the legislature did in response to the decision in Coons v. Bailey? Sure. In response, the legislature added a specific subsection, that's subsection D, to 1973. And that provision allowed grandparents to seek visitation if the parent died was incapacitated, or was incarcerated. So in some of the decisions that followed that, some of our appellate court judges really questioned whether that was constitutional because it did not start with that presumption that children should be with parents, etc. That's right. And so they predicted, and eventually became reality, 1973D was found to be unconstitutional in a case called Patton, P-A-T-T-E-N, versus Artis, A-R-D-I-S, and that was in 2018. It does not impact the remaining validity of the statute. All of the other code section, all the rest of the section is valid. It just found that subsection D was unconstitutional because it did not give enough deference to the parents' rights under the 14th Amendment. That's exactly right. And and as Wade and I have said in the third-party custody cases, uh, the podcast about that, consistently the uh, both the legislature and particularly the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals have given great deference to that 14th Amendment right of parents uh, to be parents uh, and have custody of their children without being that, that relationship being disturbed by other third parties. So let's go, let's assume for a moment, Tane, that the grandparent or the other family member has a fi- has filed the appropriate type of action that it's not an original action where the parent parents are together. There was a pending divorce or something. And the trial court, we now know, can grant, quote, reasonable visitation rights, whatever that means, if the court finds certain things. First, let's talk about the standard. Right. Uh, it's, it is important to talk about the standard because it's different than what we have in some other cases. And, that, and in this case, the standard is clear and convincing evidence. And so uh, that makes sense because you're talking about something that essentially potentially infringes upon um, the rights of a of a parent to make a determination about with whom their child will associate and how that association will take place. You're having a court intervene in that relationship of a, of a constitutional nature. So clear and convincing evidence is the standard. And then a couple of things have to be shown. A couple of factual determinations have to be made by the court. So that would be those two specifically, but are that the health and welfare of the child would be harmed. And we'll talk about harm in just a moment would be harmed unless such visitation is granted. 
and that the best interest of the child would be served by such visitation. Don't miss the and there. It is an and. It's not an or. It's not a. It's not an either or. It you find, you must find that the health and welfare of the child would be harmed unless the visitation is granted, and that the best interest of the child would be served by that visitation. Now, yeah. So think about it this way. Best interest is a standard that we use a lot of times when we're dealing with child custody. But in these um, grandparent or, or other party visitation cases, it's essentially best interests plus. And that is very true. You got to show harm, and we're going to get to that harm concept in just a moment. Now, Tane, in a lot of these cases, you're in a divorce, and one party's parents are seeking visitation. Mm hmm. I would submit to you that while reasonable visitation is up to whatever your discretion decides it ought to be, in all honesty, I have never granted grandparents every other weekend sort of visitation. In my mind, that is intrusive more than it ought to be. I agree with you, Wade. Um, only in the very rare circumstance where the parents have essentially deferred some of their authority as parents to care for the children and have essentially turned over a lot of that to the grandparents and the child's formed a really significant bond by seeing the grandparents five days a week or three days a week or you know every week of their lives or every day after school or whatever exactly. the situation is you know, it's so hard to to make sweeping generalizations about these kinds of cases because you can always go back in your mind and think of that one case with the factual scenario that's almost unbelievable, but where all of your preconditions or your 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 preconceived notions, I guess, were invalid. Right. And that's why lawyers get the opportunity to argue those things. That's right. So when we talk about harm under this statute and and it and it says that it's not going to be harmful to the child if there is not a substantial pre-existing relationship between the child and that family member to argue that, well, the child needs to have an opportunity to form bonds and relationships with that side of the family. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because that's a little bit different than the way that we treat it with respect to, to parents. Um, even in a legitimation case or uh, a regular custody case, we sometimes do look at that as a factor. Does this child need to have the opportunity to bond with a mother or a father? But that's not a consideration or, or certainly not nearly the consideration in these kinds of cases. Unless it has been a part of the history. Exactly. If it's been a part of the history of this family, then then okay, to, to, to develop or further develop that relationship is fine. But if it, that can't be the basis, because it would always exist. The point is, right. that would always be the argument, and if that was a winning argument, these things would almost be rubber-stamped automatic as long as it was the right criteria. Instead, they say, you got to show us more than that to reach this harm threshold. And one now this is a little bit different than in the third-party cases when we talked about harm, but there's really four criteria. These came from some cases. Why don't you tell the folks what those are? Sure. So you start with the idea that in order to prove harm, the party has to show again, by clear and convincing evidence, that the welfare of the child would be harmed without the visitation. Um, and then the court um, is to look at whether the harm to the child is reasonably likely result um, 
based on the history of, of what's happened to the child up to that point. And when looking at that, they look at four specific things. Right. Whether the minor child resided with the family member requesting visitation for six months or more, whether the family member provided financial support for the basic needs of the child for at least one year, whether there was an established pattern of regular visitation or child care by the family member with the child, and this is an or, so this is or, any other circumstance exists indicating that an emotional or physical harm would reasonably likely to result if such visitation is not granted. So in other words, you have the discretion that you need, but you have to look at the statute. We talk about this all the time, Tane. We have a lot of discretion, but we've got to meet certain criteria. We've got to check certain boxes, as, as at least as Superior Court judges. And again, as you and I harp on all the time, as judges, one of the things that's essential in these kinds of cases to try to ensure that the decisions that you make aren't overturned, and it's not an, that's not an egotistical thing, it's disruptive to people's lives when you put an order into place and then it has to be uh, overturned by an appellate court. But the, uh, the main thing here is we need to make those findings of fact that are required by the statute, and we need to also make it clear that we followed the standard that's required by the statute. So we need to include in our order the fact that we looked at, at the uh, clear and convincing evidence standard. We also need to look at these four factors that are required by the statute to show that in making the determination, we at least considered those. And that... So basically, to wrap that part of it up, you have to file by, find by clear and convincing evidence that the health or welfare of the child would be harmed if the visitation was not granted. And then we find that it's also in the best interest of the child, by clear and convincing evidence, that that visitation be granted. And then that's under the statutory scheme of 1973 is then met, and we have exercised our discretion and unless you have, unless it's just plain error, more likely than not, an appellate court's going to look on that with favor that you have kept within the confines of the statute. That's right. And Wade, like you and I have said so many times, do we ever assume that just because a, a, an attorney wrote a proposed order for us that they put the right standard and the right findings of fact in there? No. And unfortunately, even when it's for things like attorney's fees that are directly uh, beneficial to the lawyer, they don't seem to always... Uh, meet the requirements of the statute. Now, remember, folks, if you're hearing one of these cases, the desires of the parent are not controlling, but you must consider them. They're not controlling. They don't win the day, but you must consider them. What's the language in the statute about giving uh, deference? Yeah, sure. It says that the uh, parent regard the d desires of the parent regarding family member visitation, quote, shall be given deference by the court, end quote. So it's only deference. I do never, I never, and I think you should not ever enter a court order that people in theory could be held in contempt for that allows for visitation at the discretion of the parent. You agree? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to give them some schedule, even if it's the wrong schedule, I'm going to give them a schedule because otherwise you get into a showdown where, well, it, I didn't want them to have visitation. So my discretion was never. Yeah. The, the phrase that I put in, in these cases, as I do in 
parental visitation cases is visitation as the parties may agree, but if the parties do not agree, here's their set schedule. Absolutely. And the reason I do that is obviously we want to promote cooperation between the parties. We want to facilitate having that visitation on a schedule that works for the parties. But if they just can't agree, then they follow the schedule I give them. All right, Tane, there is one difference in this statute and all the other statutes. We've been talking about the findings that are required, but to be really clear, this statute requires that all findings be in writing. That's right. This is the only one, I mean, in in the other ones, I think it's implied, but here it is clear they must be in writing. And sometimes it's only as the parties request or if the parties request, but that's not the case with this statute. Right, because you know, in the regular child custody statute, 1993A8, the parties can request, even in the middle of the hearing, that the judge make written findings of fact and conclusions of law relative to custody, but this is different. And that's the point where you always start taking notes. Is that right, Wade? Yeah, that's usually when I go, God, I should have taken better notes. What what was that (laughs) witness's name again? Not guy in dark shirt. (laughs) Um, anyway, it's clear and convincing. We've talked about the findings that must be made. There's no presumption in favor of visitation of a grandparent. There's all sort of appellate cases which have been reversed and remanded because the court simply did not make the required findings. So one of the things that we hope that, that the good judgment podcast reiterates to you is you have a lot of discretion as a judge. You need to exercise it within the confines of the statute that is applicable. That might, that might involve opening a book. Now, for those of you who are younger, opening the computer page on Westlaw or Lexus or whatever, but, but you might want to go and open the relevant book, even it's the 10th such case you've heard and make sure that you are checking the boxes. You'd hate to get a case back like this because you know if a grandparent is filing one of these, there is so much acrimony in this family. Obviously. And you're going to to stir it up and you're hoping to eventually settle it one way or another. And if you were to get reversed or remanded, oh my goodness, I can't imagine the, the drama that would be that would be associated with that. Well, as I said in the third-party custody case, it's it's just as bad as if you mess up an adoption and have to go back and have something else done in an adoption case. For the parties, um, that could be really devastating, and we just don't want to create that kind of issue. Absolutely. So, Tane, let's wrap up this section on grandparent visitation. 1973 was, was enacted to give grandparents the opportunity for visitation, but not where the parents are with the child and with one another, correct? That's right. And then we have to have, is it just grandparents in this statute? No, there are other family members that are involved under that, great-grandparents, for example, and some other folks. So um, you need to be aware that it does, even though we sometimes refer to it as the grandparent visitation statute, um, uh, grandparents, uh, great-grandparents, and siblings of the parents are also included in the statute. For some reason, they don't say aunts and uncles. I'm sure there's a story, but whatever. Written findings of fact in every case. And what tell the folks you've got to find by clear and convincing evidence what? That if there is no visitation, there would be harm that would come to the child. And that it's in the child's best interest. I, I didn't know you were, I thought you were looking, I thought you were wondering and pondering. I realized, I didn't realize you were <laughs> quizzing me, sorry. And that it's in the child's best interest that this visitation occur. 
folks, remember you have got to do written findings here and that it's got to be by clear and convincing. And, and, and if you follow the general parameters of the rest of these cases, you're going to be fine, but you've got to do those two things. That's right. Folks, thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Pageant. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcast. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience, and the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.